Hello, and welcome to the ProRata Podcast, a podcast that takes 10 minutes to get you smarter, faster on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Change of plans? Filling in for Dan Primack today, I'm Axios Special Projects producer Naomi Shaven. On today's show, Morgan Stanley buys E-Trade and the Trump administration sides with Oracle. But first, Bloomberg's social media strategy. Yesterday, before the Democratic debate became the biggest story about former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg, the Wall Street Journal reported that his presidential campaign is hiring people in California to post about him from their social media accounts and send texts in support of him as well. The campaign is reportedly hiring at least 500 people to work 20 to 30 hours a week for $2,500 a month. Their responsibilities would include texting every contact in their phone once a week with a message about Bloomberg and publishing social media posts about him from their own accounts daily. His campaign social media strategy was already viewed as unorthodox. It made headlines last week when a spate of memes dropped depicting messages between his social media accounts and popular accounts. They were sponsored content his campaign worked out with influencers. It's one thing to pay for a sponsored post by an influencer with a huge audience. It's another to have everyday people texting all of the contacts in their phones and posting on their own social media pages, targeting people that that individual knows personally. Bloomberg has been in the race for only 10 weeks, but has spent more on advertising than Sanders, Warren, Biden, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar combined. That's a huge part of what propelled him to last night's debate stage. This latest effort around texting and social media posts could cost millions on its own. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on Bloomberg's campaign tactics with Axios Media reporter Sarah Fisher. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Joining us is Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher to talk about the Bloomberg campaign and social media. Let's start big picture. Bloomberg has spent upwards of $50 million this year on ads just on online platforms. What kind of ads typically fall under the category of online platforms versus more traditional media platforms? Great question. So it used to be that online meant sitting at your computer, a desktop, some sort of website. Maybe then when smartphones came around, online meant a mobile banner. But the concept of being online has changed dramatically in the past few years. You could buy ads on connected TV, meaning something like Hulu or any sort of streaming service that supports ads. You could buy ads on podcast digitally. All of those types of things are considered online ads. And while we know Bloomberg has spent the majority of his online spend on things like Google and Facebook, well over $50 million, as you had mentioned, I think it's about $70 million on those two platforms right now, he is experimenting with ads in all sorts of places and also directly on web publishers' websites, like news sites. And to zero in on a really unique ad (laughs) tactic that he's pursued, can we talk about last week's meme ads and what was so groundbreaking about them? So this is not totally new. It's not even totally new in politics. People have gone to influencers and asked them to post different things on their behalf, especially in local campaigns. But what was different about this is that Bloomberg went to very popular meme accounts. I mean, meme accounts with millions and millions of followers. Because those have such big audiences, working with them is expensive. And that's why you don't typically see a lot of candidates doling out money to ask people to write and support memes on their Instagram accounts. What Bloomberg did is he went to about 
a dozen of the top influencer accounts, and he asked them to create ads that looked like they were direct messages between him and the influencer, and he paid them a lot of money in order to have that being done. Now, there's an argument to be made that isn't this a weird tactic for somebody who's an older candidate who's entering the race late? And I'd argue there that at least it got us all talking about it. And at the end of the day, that's how you're going to win this presidential election. It's the attention economy and the attention election. That story has kind of carried into this week where Facebook had to issue a policy clarification in light of these sort of meme ads. Can you explain how social media draws the line on when sponsored content or paid promotions would require a disclosure? Yes. So the body that is in charge of regulating things like native content has always been the Federal Trade Commission. And they've done that not just with digital, but also years and years doing it with print, with radio, with television. What's different, though, is that the FTC really hasn't updated its native advertising guidelines since 2015. They issued a small update last year, but they haven't addressed politics specifically. And that's because when it comes to politics, there's another body that's responsible for regulating campaign expenditures, and that's the Federal Election Commission, the SEC. Now, the SEC is essentially defunct right now. They're lacking enough commissioners to push any votes through. So they haven't made many updates at all to their campaign expenditure policies. Why this matters? You have two bodies, neither of which have total and direct control over sponsored ads as they pertain to political content. And because of that, the responsibility of how you're going to label this stuff and how you're going to handle it is falling on the publishers or the tech platforms, whomever it is that's selling the ads. That's why you're seeing Facebook, when they come out with these clarifications, at the bottom of each statement, they say, we urge regulators to give us more clarification here. Because Facebook doesn't want to say this post isn't okay if our own government says it's fine or doesn't have a policy on it. So I think right now the waiting game is, when are we ever going to get our federal election and our federal tree commission officials to weigh in on this stuff? Just to catch listeners up, that's the landscape, basically, that the latest news from The Wall Street Journal kind of enters into. The Wall Street Journal reported yesterday that Bloomberg's campaign has this new tactic where they're paying people to post on their personal social media pages. And to be clear, these are normal people, not influencers with millions of dollars. And it's also paying them to text all of the contacts in their phones with messages of support for the candidate. Can you kind of explain how different this is from even what we saw last week? Is this more aggressive? Is this more out there? So I wouldn't even say that this is necessarily branded content. It's kind of confusing. I mean, in one sense, Facebook said in a statement to Axios last night that if a person were to post on behalf of a campaign and they were receiving payments from that campaign, they have to disclose that the campaign is paying for their messages. But at the end of the day, what's confusing about this is that salary expenditures are required to be filed with the Federal Election Commission. And so if you're paying somebody on behalf of a campaign, one can make an argument, well, don't you have to disclose that amount anyway to the Federal Election Commission because you're paying a staffer, you're paying someone to post. These are the guidelines that are very tricky and we haven't totally navigated them yet. 
According to Facebook, because there is no explicit language around this from the SEC about whether or not paying someone for posts is the same type of thing in line with paying a salary that you would need to disclose, Facebook says that they're going to make strong recommendations and provide guidelines for how someone could disclose that they're affiliated with a campaign when they're posting something like this. But I asked Facebook, look, if someone doesn't post that guideline, if someone doesn't disclose it, are you going to take down their posts? And Facebook said no. At this point, they don't have the jurisdiction to say that that's a campaign violation if the person doesn't disclose. This is some really complicated stuff. And until we get the Federal Election Commission to be active again, like I said, they're defunct because they're down commissioners. I don't expect that we're going to get any guidance on this in 2020. Looking at the debate last night, did it surprise you at all that Bloomberg didn't take more heat over these social media tactics from other candidates? And sort of zooming out a bit, is there any other 2020 fallout that you expect from these sort of unorthodox campaign tactics he's using? I'm not surprised that it didn't come up in the debate because there's such heavy things that his opponents can attack him for that I think are way more effective than him buying a few memes. I mean, you saw them go after him for his wealth. You saw them go after him for his relative inexperience for getting into the game late and for trying to, what they say, buy the election. A huge thing that Bloomberg was taking heat for yesterday was the fact that he's spending so much of his money and the fact that he's a billionaire who's going to potentially be going up against yet another billionaire in Donald Trump. And so I wasn't surprised that we're bringing this up because it's small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. Thank you. To our listeners, for more of Sarah's reporting and analysis on media campaigns and more, subscribe to our Media Trends newsletter. My final two after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. Morgan Stanley is planning to buy E-Trade for $13 billion. This deal would be the largest involving a major American bank since the financial crisis. Let's break it down by the numbers. Morgan Stanley offered $58.74 per share for E-Trade. It stands to gain upwards of 5 million customers and $360 billion in client money in buying the online brokerage. When the deal closes, Morgan Stanley's wealth management arm is expected to have 8 million users and $3.1 trillion in client money. The deal is expected to close in the fourth quarter of this year. Driving the news is that Charles Schwab agreed to buy TD Ameritrade for $26 billion last year, raising questions about how E-Trade might compete after its two major competitors joined forces. The deal also signals that Morgan Stanley, long known for working with millionaires, has a keen interest in expanding its wealth management arm by working with more everyday customers. Finally, the Trump administration has taken Oracle's side in its ongoing copyright dispute with Google, which is heading to the Supreme Court in March. Oracle has accused Google of illegally copying parts of its code, while Google has argued that the code in question was not copyrightable to begin with, and that the industry practice of reusing software is crucial to interoperability. IBM, Microsoft, Etsy, Reddit, and more have sided with Google, but a number of other groups have taken the opposite stance. The Internet Accountability Project has argued that Google has a history of stealing intellectual property. In a brief filed Wednesday, the Solicitor General's office argued that software code can be copyrighted and that Google's, quote, verbatim copying was, quote, not fair use. 
the brief came as Oracle's founder, Larry Ellison, kicked off a fundraiser for Trump, which has made some Oracle employees uncomfortable. In a change.org petition, Oracle employees threatened to stage a walkout if Ellison doesn't cancel the fundraiser. And we're done. Huge thanks to producer Tim Shovers and to Dan for letting me host Prorata again today. Kim Hart wasn't able to join the show this week, so I'll be hosting again tomorrow, and Dan will be back next week. 